Welcome to another episode at the Be Guided and Be Great podcast, where being intuitive is understood and being sensitive is a good thing. I'm your host, Kate St. Clair. Today's podcast is called Five Tips on How to Be Comfortable with Your Job as a Professional Psychic Medium in the Real World. And as I always say, whether you're professional or this is just who the way you are in private, you belong to this conversation. Um, I really, there's some lots of information in today's podcast on just how to be comfortable doing you. And maybe family comes to you for guidance, or maybe friends always ask you out to lunch and you sort of know that they're picking your brain, trying to see what sort of psychic hit you get on the stories that they tell you. Um, so I'm going to present this podcast through the lens of a professional, um, expectations or professional acceptance of your gift. Um, but you know, this is just the way we are, whether we're working or not, or maybe you privately or secretly dream of being a professional psychic medium, um, having a podcast of your own. Um, creating or developing a TV show, writing a book, um, putting yourself out there to meet other fellow intuitives. Um, today's podcast is going to, we're going to talk about, you know, five tips to really understand sort of your place in this vast, um, you know, the vast energy of being a psychic reader, being an energetic reader, um, a lot of my students want to, you know, like they know that this is their calling and the things that we're going to go over today are the things that can really stop people from putting themselves out there to do this professionally. So I'm excited to cover those things. And so we'll go over the five tips and then I'm going to share some stories at the end, like I love to do, um, to just always, um, animate or bring, make this information more real, bring in some stories to, to try to get you to see yourself within those stories to help validate the things that you've been through privately, secretly, or otherwise. Okay. So five tips on how to be comfortable with your job as a professional psychic medium in the real world. So this is how it goes. People ask me, so what do you do? right? And <laughs> this, my response to that changed every year for a very long time, depending on how comfortable I was, where I, where I was and how comfortable I was with the whole um, story of me coming out as a professional psychic medium. So if I said I'm a psychic medium, the response was inevitably followed by a very passionate turn to get away from me. <laughs> or somebody just so blunt that they say, so what makes you so psychic? Like, why are you so special? You know, or the other one that I still have to deal with all the time is somebody will then immediately turn into my face and attempt to get a free reading in the moment. Another response is somebody will look me in the eye and say, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know you're so psychic? I mean, that's the good thing about being professional. You have case after case after case, evidential information that you've presented that's was validated, you know, decades of that really helps you 
no, how do you know? It's because you know, because you've been doing it professionally with strangers. And um, that's helpful. Let's just put it that way. Another response is when you tell them that you're a psychic medium is they avoid you at all costs, hoping that you won't see their secrets. It's almost like if they had a coat on, they would close it dramatically so you can't see what they're wearing. When people do that, I uh, assume that there's something that they assume I'm seeing that they don't want me to see. And a good psychic has very good boundaries where we have no interest in your secrets by any means, right? That's good, healthy psychic hygiene right there. Good boundaries. Um, the other response is somebody is so excited and hopes that you'll tell them that they are too, you know, psychics are, we're always looking for each other to validate. Uh, we are always looking to each other to validate how psychic we are. And so, um, I know a lot of people at the beginning are constantly, looking at me for reassurance that they are. And that's, that's a, something I can professionally offer is I won't take a, a student unless they are actually psychic. Um, yeah, psychic, but generally I take the psychic medium. The other response I get is they will ask for a reading and then they'll consider whether they think you are or not. <laughs> like your whole profession comes down to what they understand about what you do. And of course, finally, somebody will look at me with total doubt and confusion. Like I just said, I live on Mars. Um, so you guys get the idea. I mean, telling anyone ever seems to be a big deal because um, people generally have either no response to that, like they didn't hear what I said because they don't know how to do the follow-up, or sort of a passionate response as if they totally understand what I do and or what I do depends on how they feel about <laughs> what I do. <laughs> it's like telling someone you're a lawyer or what I imagine that the our fellow our lawyer friends have to go through. It's like they either like you or they don't depending on their history or um, you know, how were they were raised to look at lawyers, you know, you can either see lawyers as somebody that are absolutely there to back you up within the context of the law, or somebody that uses the law to hurt and harm. So it, it really can depend being a psychic can be like being a lawyer where people's response to you can really be about their the historical value that title puts on what you do. I know for me, the last thing I wanted to be in the world was a psychic. I hated the word and I hated being one. Um, and I was devastated when I realized that that was what I was born to do. Again, this, this really goes off of my resistance towards do stepping into that because what I wanted in my life was a, to have a normal life and just kind of be a normal person where, you know, since I was a little tiny girl, my life was uh, never normal. So it was sort of my last cling to do something normal professionally. I mean, by the time I had to confront that with my skin cancer, I had already been a realtor in Montana a, an electrologist in New York City, a marketing agent in Seattle. I was already working in the stock market. Um, and I mean, just a million other professions 
<sighs> that I tried to insert myself into. I tried to to make it a go, to make it a real uh, livelihood at these normal professions before coming to terms with the reality that I was born to be a psychic. And it did take me that skin cancer in 2010 to finally surrender to the truth of that. I, I wanted to do something fun, you know, like something beautiful, something innocent. I was, you know, I have a knack for interior design. So I thought that would be a really fun, safe, playful, um, profession. I thought I, you know, I always like reduce it down to, I sometimes wish I could just be a baker, you know, like you just bake cupcakes and like, that's the biggest, most stressful thing that you can do, um, in your day is just maybe screw up a cake would be like the biggest crisis that you had to look at. Um, or, you know, I tried to, I, I, I wanted to be a singer. People told me I should be a singer. When I was living in Seattle, I had a producer ready to go, excited to work with me. And this like small voice kept saying, if I would become a singer at the age I was, I was in my early twenties, I would be destroyed by the industry because I had no idea who I was back then. And I had no foundation. I had no idea who I was. And I had to walk away from the deal because I just knew if I went forward at that time to become a singer, um, it really would have destroyed me in a way. Again, I was, I just knew that that was the guidance I was getting, but at the time I didn't speak, like I didn't have the language. I didn't speak like, Oh, my guides are telling me. I just had this knowing it was not the right time. It was not the right place. And I needed to have a foundation before I pursued anything creatively. I, I wanted to do something physical, something creative, instead of dealing with the heavy weight of death and life. I already dealt with the spirits of my own around every freaking corner, you know? I know you can relate to this. So why would I want to deal with someone else's? I mean, I could barely, I could barely deal with the spirits I had to deal with in my own life. It was inconceivable that I would be effective or helpful with other people's um, you know, grief and other people's spirits and on and on and on. I just didn't think I had what it took to, to be able to do that professionally. So after the doctor took that skin cancer out of my chest, just over my heart, I couldn't run anymore. I was born to be a professional psychic medium. And 10 years later, right? That was in 2010. We're in 2020 here. 10 years later, I can tell you with just absolute certainty, being a professional psychic medium is the most awesome career, awesome reality. I get to help people in the most incredible ways. Even when I'm really scared to take on a client or I feel like whatever they have going for them is rather dark or past my pay grade. Um, me just getting in there and having the working with spiritual beings to bring in information, to shed light on a situation is really the most incredible feeling in the world. Um, but I had to work my way through the myths that we will talk about in the next couple of minutes. And I hope that when we confront some of the myths or sort of streamline what your role is, what is real, um, You'll be more excited to put yourself out there again, professionally or just in your life with, 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 your, with your friends, with your family, with people you're called to read for and called to help.
And if you never feel called or have the situation where you have to help another human being, I doubt that, but let's just say this work is also about, um, healing yourself and finding the confidence to know what is right or wrong for you. And, um, so your intuition is not only there to help others, but it's absolutely there to help and heal yourself too. So I've gone through all of the weird social situations that come up when the dreaded American question is asked. So what is it you do? (laughs) Depending on the situation, I feel comfortable or I don't, right? So, (laughs) excuse me. Let's go over the five tips to make you comfortable being a professional psychic medium in the real world. Um, And just for fun too, there's a reality that you know, um, the more you can be who you are in this life, the more confident you feel. So like, as we go into talking about what this really means, let's just say one of the things that we are trying to do as sensitives is fully be who we are. So when I can, when I finally was able to say I'm a psychic medium and not really care how, um, anybody responded to that, that was a freedom for me. I never, ever, ever had, um, because I am saying what I do. I'm saying who I am and I, and there's a freedom and an accept that with the acceptance that this is who I am, take it or leave it, man. Cause I, you know, this is just the final straw. This is, this is it. This is who I am. And sometimes when you're raised to hide and put on a show and pretend to be something you're not just simply saying that you're a psychic medium, again, it can be really a big thing to overcome. Um, but once you do, I mean, it's just like, you get to be who you are, which is a dream for every human, right? All right. Number one, you don't have to tell everyone. So let me normalize this for you. I have friends that are doctors and they do not tell their neighbors what they do because before they know it, people are knocking on the front door, asking the doctor to take a quick look at something as a favor, (laughs) right? They feel that, Oh, you're a doctor. You know, let me put you in my pocket. Let me use you. Let me, um, manipulate you. Let me bake you cookies. You know, like, let me go out of my way because one day I'm absolutely just going to come over and take what I need from you. So the way that they avoid that is to simply not tell their neighbors what they do or (coughs) excuse me, whatever the situation is, they just don't tell. Um, and again, that's just, if you, it's just a good way to protect yourself from people that would want to take advantage of you. So you don't owe anyone an explanation of who you are and what you do. And like I said earlier, it's, it's actually a cultural thing asked mainly by Americans in other countries. They don't do that. So your whole, um, who you are as a human being does not come down to what you do professionally. Where unfortunately in America, it's, you know, and again, I've done a lot of professional things and people treated me differently depending on what I was doing, which is ridiculous. Um, so if you want to be just you, then you don't, you don't have to go there. And other professional people do that too. Like I said, doctors do that. I have some lawyer friends that do that too. Um, 
I learned, you know, I am a mother, I am a consultant. So I will just say one of those if I don't want to have to explain what I do professionally. Um, and you know, a lot of people just like, Oh, you know, your mom or, Oh, okay. You're a consultant. Yeah. Like that sounds boring. <laughs> so they, you know, we can move past that part of the conversation. So I just want to give you permission that you don't have to tell the world what you do. Other professions don't either. But if you absolutely want to tell them what you do, then absolutely do that. Number two, have firm boundaries and accept the truth of the situation. So what sets you apart is your big open heart, your deep understanding of people without needing a lot of words, um, to express yourself, right? So just because you get all of that information does not make it your responsibility. So, um, like you don't have to tune in and get more information just because you can, you can be just you, they can be just them and you don't have to understand them. And the truth is they often can't possibly understand you. So we want to find acceptance of that where we're, we're accepting that just because we are meeting people, we don't have to do full downloads on them, um, to prepare ourselves to talk to them. Um, and they don't have to do that to us either. Like we could just meet as, um, innocently and I hate to use the word, but superficially as possible. Why I'm saying this because psychic people feel a lot of responsibility to prepare themselves to have a conversation with others. Um, sometimes we do a, a quick download and we didn't mean to, so there can be some judgment that comes up. Um, but if you are the type of psychic that does, that tries to do immediate downloads to get like a read on the person, that's fine. But you just take it to a very short point and then don't make it like your responsibility to know everything about them. So it can go um, two ways, kind of depending on how you're feeling as a psychic. You know, if you feel really balanced and centered, you're not really reading people. You don't feel like you have to, so you don't. If you're feeling a little bit imbalanced or nervous or off center, you do tend to overread people, um, to brace yourself. It's kind of an instinctual thing to brace yourself for their energy or what they're going to say. And, um, sometimes you're just putting more burden on yourself than you need to. So like, for example, I've been in the presence of children who were about to be orphaned and I, I was, I started spinning out of control I was just reading that energy and that information. I, I, I was ready to grab the adoption papers because I felt so much of their energy and I really thought it was my duty to take care of them again, just cause they were in my presence. I just sort of spun out and felt incredibly responsible for these children. And so I learned what I have to do. And what I had to do is I had to sit down and ask my spirit guides, ask my birth guide, if this was my life's plan or not. And it wasn't, and it was really hard to accept that. It was even harder to be in the presence of these children that were in such great need, but, um, we have to respect the boundaries. We have to have firm boundaries with others. And let's just say if I did go adopt these children and it wasn't in any of ours, life's purpose, life's plan, how detrimental that would be for all of us, um, them included, you know? 
So we must accept what is true, um, is the right thing, whether we like it or not. Boundaries, acceptance of the truth of the situation. These are sort of my mantras that helps me get through those moments when we take on too much responsibility for reading others. And the third one is accept limitations. So your only job is to show up. That is literally your only job as a psychic medium um, because the rest of it is total surrender. The rest of it is... um, we're in service to whatever our, the guides are saying is true for the situation, right? So, um, your only job is to show up, you get what you get and you accept that you're getting what the spirit world wants you to, uh, for years, I beat myself up if I couldn't get what I wanted from spirit. Um, and if I'm really honest, I was probably a bully to them because I wanted to be right. I, you know, a bully to the spirits. Um, if they weren't showing me what I thought the client wanted, it would make me frustrated and I would just keep staring at them and sort of demanding more. If I felt like what they were giving me wasn't enough, I thought I should have total control over everything if I'm going to work for a client, right? Um, the time, the moment, the very moment I realized that I was bullying spirits to try to get them to tell me what I wanted to hear, um, you know, what I thought my client wanted to hear was, um, I did an ask a medium show and a journalist was there at the show and she wanted to do an article on me. So I agreed that I would give her a reading so she could sort of know more about my profession and what I do and, you know, just experience it. So she had a friend that had committed suicide. So in our session, he showed up and he gave me his name. He gave me his dad's name. He did a great job. And then she said, well, how did he die? And oh my God, he like started prepping his like collar and try to show me his cool clothes. And I got a look at his face and he was horrified. He did not want me to see how he died. He didn't want me to see, and he definitely did not want his friend, this beautiful girl to know how he took his life. And I realized I had to back off and she did not need to know. He did not want her to know. And I, that was what needed to be respected. Not because she wanted to know I would, you know, do whatever it took to, <laughs> excuse me, to get that information. No, I needed to respect his privacy and his boundaries. And I backed off and, um, I just said to her, I'm sorry, I can't get that information. He won't show me. He won't tell me. And that's the way it is. It's okay. I remember early in my career, um, during a reading, this lovely woman, 90 year old woman was recommended to me by her son-in-law and she showed up with her, you know, 60 year old daughter And I could absolutely tell that this 60 year old daughter was finally getting the attention from her mother that she'd craved her whole life now that her father had passed away. So, um, her husband of 60 plus years was giving me these intimate, beautiful, amazing messages with so much detail and intimacy. I was in awe of his ability to communicate to me from the spirit world, right? He was giving me incredible, validatable information. And he was telling me stuff I would never know intellectually. So I was very happy with the reading. I was 
I was enjoying myself, but 45 minutes into it, the daughter got up and screamed, why don't you tell us his name? So this was early in my career. So all I could do was freeze. And then I was totally pissed that I didn't just hear his name. I heard a bunch of names floating around and I didn't feel like anyone was more important than the other. So I just didn't say the name. Instead, I gave validatable information like he's showing me that he put he's putting on your coat. And she's like, yeah, he did that every day of our lives for 60 years. And um, he showed me the football injury that he'd had, which she said, yeah, you know, he'd lived with it every day as long as I knew him, you know, like incredible stuff. So when they left, I actually stopped reading for the public for a year, about a half a year. This was all pre skin cancer awakening, but I basically was sulking because he didn't tell me his name. I was actually super pissed at him that he could have just told me his name because I can get names. But um, he, I think that he thought just as I do, sometimes the name is easy because anybody could have told me his name along the way. The, the son-in-law who recommended him could have told me his name. Like my father-in-law, Gary, had passed away. Um, so names can be one of the least amazing things a psychic can bring in for sure. Um, so, you know, then I got the skin cancer awakening that showed me that I could have easily found his name out. Like I just said, um, and I realized that, you know, was during that sort of reflection on that one reading where I realized that I have little control over what the spirits say. I am here in service to not only my client, but also the spirits trying to communicate on the other side. I mean, they are people and people say whatever the hell they want to say, not what I want them to, not what you want them to, not what I want them to. They're going to say what they say, right? They're people. So I imagine like her and her mom are driving over and they're like, oh, the psychic has to say his name. The psychic has to say his name. And if she doesn't, then she's a total phony. And maybe the dad on the other side's like, yeah, whatever. You know, like he's got his own agenda. He's going to tell the psychic what he wants to tell the psychic. Maybe he thinks even now in heaven, his daughter is being silly. So he pays no attention to her ramblings on about, Oh, if she doesn't, if the psychic doesn't say this one thing, then nothing else she says matters. So that's really between, you know, that's between them, not me. I could only get what he was showing and telling me. Unless for some reason, my spirit guide or his spirit guide intervened and demanded that I specifically say his name, which they generally don't care about that stuff either. Um, They don't care about it either. So I really had to accept it. My job is to be honest. My job is to accept their limitations and offer what they want me to communicate, whether the people like it or not. Okay. Number four, you're a psychic, not a fortune teller. So most psychics don't predict the future. That's a myth. We absolutely read the past and we absolutely can tell you what the energy and options are in the present, but we cannot often read the future a hundred percent. There are very few psychics like that, more fortune teller-esque. I've never in my whole life come across one, but I 
I believe that they're out there and I believe that would be maybe their special psychic skill. We all have sort of our specialties and that would be theirs. Um, so why is this part of the truth of our work? Because we have free will. So just because you can marry your fifth husband doesn't mean you should, right? It means that you're choosing to heal, learn, and grow through a legal contract rather than a spiritual one. So just because a psychic says, no, you're not going to marry this one, um, because that's what the energy says, that's what the birth guide says, that does not mean the person's not going to go out immediately and just go get married literally that afternoon. If she wants to get married to the sixth, seventh, eighth husband, she will because she wants to, but that does not mean that was her destiny. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Um, so she has free will. If she wants to get more lessons or try to attempt to heal the past through a new man, that's her choice. She has the free will to do that. So the psychic might say, you know, get a clear information that the client needs time and space to heal from the past. Um, that client might choose to get married to distract herself from the past. And does that make the psychic wrong? No. But the myth that the psychic will say, you know, like, like people don't know that. So everyone will say, well, you were wrong because you didn't predict I would go do that. Where the psychic could predict that they, but they might not want to hurt your feelings either and say the energy is not there, but you're totally going to do that anyway. I mean, that would be kind of a jerk psychic, <laughs> right? We have to really watch how we say information to not sound rude, um, you know, to be respectful. So I've heard that there are rare psychics that do get specific information of what you'll be doing in the future. I heard a story that actress Helen Mirren once said a psychic accurately predicted she would become famous later in life. So, but if Helen Mirren gave up acting and ran away from the life she was destined to, that would have never happened for her, right? If she instead chose to give up, not show up, not going out, not go out for roles, run off to Nepal and join a temple, right? Fame would have never chased her down. It just wouldn't have. So, um, the prediction was based off of her taking the actions that she was to have the destiny that she was born for. I mean, yes, in every situation, um, in every session, rather, I get predictive information too, but I've learned to give parameters around it, right? So if I say, I see your friend from Ohio, we'll tell you about a job in Oregon. It'll be a good job for a while. I don't sense you'll stay there for a long term, right? So a few months later, my client emailed me saying she was going to Oregon. And then, you know, years later, she moved back to California. So that information is a drop in the bucket. So I don't get caught up in the predictive nature of our job. My job is to find the spiritual meaning behind the information. Now I am talking specifically for me. I specialize in spiritual meanings of lives, of the whys, of the hows, of the, um, the big picture stuff. Some psychics might not specialize in specifically the spiritual nature of things. So that doesn't make them wrong. It's just, I'm, I'm giving you my lens and I want to make sure that I invite that there are other lenses with which this work is also very valuable too. Um, so 
you know, you might get the information that way too. And if you do, then embrace the prediction part of it, but don't force it. If you're not a big predictive, um, if you're not big in prediction, then don't force it. Our job is to language the energy, not predict all things are set in stone because they are not. Human beings have free will and um, we absolutely can get off track if our free will is out of control, like mine has certainly done in the past as well. Okay, number five. If you said yes to taking a client or having that lunch, um, taking that phone call from the family member, you have already won. You have already um, fulfilled that which you've been called to do. So again, if you've agreed to work with a client, booked a session, sat down for an hour, opened your heart to hearing and seeing their energy, their spirit guides, their family members crossed over, then you've already achieved success. Congratulate yourself for both being vulnerable and brave. And as a psychic, uh, as a born psychic, and having worked with other born intuitives for the last 13 years, putting yourself out there is the hurdle. It's the difference between animating your gift in a generous way or hiding. If they like you or not, it is not the barometer of success. If they agree with you or not, that is not the barometer of success. Success is saying yes, fully showing up and doing the best job that you can. I'm partial because I have the most amazing clients in the world, but it wasn't always that way when I was insecure and I needed lots of approval, which is normal at the beginning of any career, right? I cared way too much about whether a client liked me or not. If I said, um, you know, I cared whether I said the right things or not. I cared whether the session, the reading was good enough. And, um, my spiritual awakening taught me that none of those things mattered. When I cared about the silly stuff, I didn't want to show up. It was too much pressure, right? I was crippled by someone else's opinion of my job. But when I accepted that it was my job to say yes, to show up fully and be present and let go of both the praise and the judgment, I was free. And freedom meant I was clear. And a clear psychic is a dream, <laughs> right? It's an absolute dream. I don't know what's going on with me tonight. Whenever I go to giggle, I cough. So forgive me for coughing through a lot of this session when I go to laugh. So though I appreciated, um, I appreciated the praise or the opinions, I no longer needed that approval or that validation from clients and neither do you. Okay. A psychic doing the work she's born to do is more than anyone could ask for. It's enough and you are enough. So say yes to yourself in the work. Um, because when we do, I mean, that's life, that's animation, that's purpose, that's confidence. And we don't get those things unless we uh, actually take the time and are brave enough to fully animate. All right. As we transition to the end of this podcast, I want to tell a few stories. 
And like always, these stories are the purpose of them is so that you can potentially see yourself within the stories that I tell. Okay. Um, this goes back early, early in my career. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you can do, um, until you do it. So, um, the story goes, all right. My grandpa had passed away and, uh, we were at the funeral and I could see my grandpa, um, you know, standing by his cos his casket and, um, you know, listening to all the stories. Um, and earlier that day, my dad had said that he thought his dad might have been a ghost. And I thought because I could see my grandpa, that meant he wasn't a ghost. Um, cause I thought the way I was experiencing him, experiencing him being on the other side that he had just crossed over. I, I didn't really know how to check back then. And so, um, when I saw my grandpa standing at the casket, I sort of started to doubt whether he was actually crossed over or had he gone down into the ghost realm to sort of hang out. And, um, my opinion now would be the ghost realm is a little bit even more three dimensional than if we're talking to a loved one that's crossed over, they animate way faster. They're way, f um, they're more effervescent. They're faster. They're lighter. Um, because it's a faster vibration. And my grandpa was much more three-dimensional and much more like textural. So um, I had to conclude later when I was really thinking and trying to analyze the situation that my grandpa was actually a ghost at his funeral. So my point is that if you don't specifically know whether you're talking to a ghost or a spirit, I just want to encourage you that that's a very, very normal phenomenon. There is such a, um, you might be just so good at talking to all of them that you don't notice the subtle differences between how it feels when you're looking at them or talking to them. Okay. And something interesting that happened, um, I think just last week. Well, the conclusion was last week. The actual exercise happened a few weeks ago. So, um, the way I train students right now is I work specifically with their skill. And, um, I had a client that I've had a long time, a, a student, and she's incredibly talented. So when I have them scan out to sort of break down the different spirits that they see around me, um, cause when we can break it down, we sort of feel like we have more of a sense of control around it. And, um, I mean, almost every time I have her scan out to, to look at my family that has passed away, she always sleep, um, she always reads people that are still living. And why is that? Well, because we're all spirits and some living people are, um, have a really hard time staying in their bodies. So, um, if a medium is looking out and her intention is to look for the dead, um, here can come, you know, your brother, your father, your sister, a living friend. It, it happens all the time. Um, one week when I was working with different students, let's just say four out of the five all brought in my father, um, who's alive and well. 
So, um, he obviously had a message that he wanted to give to me, um, that the mediums were picking up. So a few weeks ago, one of my students read, uh, she was scanning out to look at my loved ones on the other side and she saw a childhood friend of mine. And, um, I helped her because one of the things is just because we see somebody, we don't necessarily know what to say or how to engage with them. So I, I assisted her to know what sort of questions to ask, to find out what the point was, why she was around me. And, um, she just really wanted to reach out and there she was going through some things. And so my student offered the message and we, brought in all the information that we needed to. And then we had her move on, um, go back to her body and we didn't think much of it. And so the next week that childhood friend of mine, um, sent, reached out to me through Facebook and her grandmother had passed away. And, um, so the point is, is that, um, you know, the exercise was to scan out and, um, context um, really understand where my, my loved ones were standing in the room that have passed away and here walks in a living being, meaning that they have a body, they're alive. Okay. And you can still read them just like you are somebody who has passed over. Why? Because a spirit is a spirit is a spirit. And it might be in the living plane, it might be in heaven, or it might be in the ghost realm. And then there's variances off of that, that we don't need to go over today, but, um, you're talking to a spirit. So if you're a medium, you talk to spirits and I don't want you to get overwhelmed or freaked out where that particular spirit is that you're talking to. Okay. So if you're a medium, you access and talk to spirits, no matter what dimension they're in. And that can just take some time and skill to know how to ask the right questions to find out where that soul actually is. Or if you're a medium and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm sensing this is your father here. And they say, well, my dad's alive. Well, that doesn't mean you're not sensing their living father. So if that's happened to you, I just want to, I just really want to normalize that for you. That happens because you're a medium. That means you can talk to spirits living in another dimension, in the lower vibrations. We can see all of it. Okay. And another quick story, I had a new client and I knew who she was here. Um, I knew she was in my office to speak to somebody specific. I just didn't know who. And so the first person, um, the first spirit that stepped forward was this very animated, very bold. Her name was aunt Betty and she was smoking and talking and very aggressive and like such a joy for a medium to talk to because she was so powerful and animated and she had all these sort of, um, I'm like, she's holding a cigarette she's got this kind of stance and the client was validating all of it. So she was an absolutely dream to read for um, even though it was her great aunt Betty, I knew there was somebody else she wanted to talk to. So I knew enough to be patient and not sort of push the aunt Betty aside, but, um, to let her bring in a message and just be patient. So sure enough, after aunt Betty went, I heard a man's voice say, I'm Bruce and my client started to cry. She said, that's my dad. And I said, well, I hear him, but I don't see him yet. And so I was only aware of in that moment that he was watching the great aunt Betty talk to me because he didn't necessarily know how to do it. So, <coughs> 
excuse me. We take for granted that um, all spirits know how to talk to a living person, i.e. a medium, but they don't. And so sometimes um, if you're giving it a try, if you're trying to help a friend, if you're a professional and you're ha having having a session, um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that the very person they want to talk to will go first. It just doesn't. Sometimes they have to watch other spirits talk to you to, to learn how, um, to best animate so you can hear them and see them and sense them and all of those things. Okay. And my final story is I had a client that was referred to me from um, a colleague and I sensed the, I sensed that she did not believe, um, in what I did, <laughs> which is fine. That doesn't bother me because, um, why not? You know, you got to start somewhere. And so during the session, um, I was, I was push, I was trying to be as clear as I could, but her energy was pushing on me. So kind of trying to, um, in her disbelief, it was sort of um, making things more difficult to read, if you will. And I, I, I was able to say, I have a sense that you're very connected to your mother, although I am seeing that you guys are really separate right now. And so I was trying to logically think, well, maybe they're having an argument and that's why she's here. Or, um, I was trying to be too analytical about it. And, um, I kind of got stuck on the fact that um, I said, I sense a separation and she feels gone. And then the girl said, well, she's dead. And I didn't really want to say it that way because she seemed sensitive to the word. And, um, when she's like, she's dead, um, it felt like, well, no kidding. I mean, hence the separation, right? She's in a different dimension. So, um, the point is that, had I, had it been okay for me to come out and just say, uh, oh, she's dead. I would have, but, um, we tend to have to use language that the client needs us to. So maybe though I had to use the word, there's a separation, you know, she's gone. I sense that she's gone. Um, maybe that felt patronizing to my client. It could have, but it doesn't matter because I needed to have said it that way to sort of ease her into this whole reality of I'm talking to her and she's dead. Um, but another way to say that is, um, she's gone. She's crossed over. She's, you guys feel separate, you know? Um, so just be patient with yourself. If you have to say it in a way that's different for every single person that you talk to. It's not necessarily that you're inconsistent, but it's that we, the guides help us with language so that we try to use the language that the client speaks. Um, sometimes very gentle for our tastes, but nonetheless, that's the way that they need to hear it. All right, that's it for this week's podcast. If you are curious about which is the strongest Claire in you, right? Are you clairvoyant? Are you clairaudient? Are you claircognizant? Are you clairsentient? You feel things. Go to my website at katesaintclair.com and take my quiz, Which Claire Are You? Thank you for being here with me. Subscribe to this podcast to check out next week's podcast, which is called 10 Tips to Know If There's an Angel in the Family.
So I love talking about that subject. I have angels in my family. I have clients that are angels and understanding, um, sort of their nature and how that looks, um, in a family dynamic has truly changed people's lives, mine included. So, um, anyway, I'll catch you guys next week. And until then, remember it's your birthright to be guided and be great.